Hello, listeners to the ASI Podcast. My name is Russ Shaw. Thanks for stopping by in the middle of a kind of social blackout. ASI. For attitudes of sexual integrity, 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 ASI. Old 80s metal from back in the day, the Scorpions. Blackout. You're here, here, listening to... to ASI247.org for the vintage website. And hey, follow our Spotify playlist, ASI Podcast Bumps, and follow the bands if you like the bands. And don't forget to follow this podcast or subscribe. Yes, this podcast is considered speech media, but these are bumper promos, all right? I like introducing millennials and Z Gen Zers, the Zoomers, to some uh, some old shit. Man, here you go. Scorpions Blackout. Yes, I did see that band in concert when I was 17. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, what does that have to do with uh, the topic today? Blackout. The poignant lyrics. The lyrics in that song I, I found struck me with meaning. Um, don't want to find out. Just want to get out. Blackout. No, 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 (laughs) no. But did we, the whole world, really have to black out? That's the question, right? That's what we're all going through. The lights are out. It's causing disruption in our lives most of us i mean all of us in our lifetimes have never been through something like this at least in my country here in the seattle area no nothing like this and it feels like being in the dark not knowing what's going on what the future holds and with the majority population of people and we're all going through it together it seems very much like a quarantine psychosocial blackout we're all under. Hashtag we're all in this together has been going around. And that's true. And I love that saying so much because it fights that alone thing that a lot of us have in us. This big empty, you know, kind of like I'm all alone. Those feelings, life is passing me by, it's just empty and alone. It feels real. And, you know, there's something in us that tries to convince us of that. It's not true. But that feeling of alone can be incredibly destructive. You know, the the progression and denialism was very real, at least for me. I've experienced that in my life. I'm all alone. No one understands me. And then, and then you phase further. They're out to get me. No, we're all in this together. But it's jacking with our well-being, 
our sense of purpose, meaning, our goals, what we thought like graduation for some high school and college students would be like, um, getting married. It's disrupted so many things, this blackout. And when we're feeling fearful and feeling alone, feeling in the dark about our future, sex is a powerful anesthesia to that emotional pain we're experiencing. The familiar anesthetic. Most of us who listen to this show have found functionally have found as at least short-term relief. Years ago, my uh, Mars Hill Church days, I heard a guy make this analogy that being addicted to pornography is sort of like being really, really thirsty, and instead of getting a glass of fresh water from the refrigerator, he said, um, being addicted to pornography is like walking past the refrigerator you know, getting a glass and ice. It's it's walking past the kitchen into the bathroom and drinking out of the toilet. And so he had me thinking about this, and it never really resolved totally for me because I believe himself he was more than likely, you know, preaching right out. It's projecting his own struggles with sexual self-control, sexual intimacy, um... But good analogy, what I've learned is that that's that's a fairly good example, but the truth is, in a situation like this, when when the lights are out, right, when we can't see the refrigerator, when we don't know our way to the cool stream of water, toilet water is still wet, and it will still feel like, at least short term, it's quenching our thirst. And that's what I wanted to talk about in the show, and that's what I wanted to touch on, is because what I've learned, what I've found, is that the pain, the emotional pain that we're feeling, is that fear. That's the, was it Churchill that said that? The the only thing to fear is fear itself. Fear brings the pain. And yeah, fear is a a positive thing. Like, yeah, we start to learn things in our lives. We need to be afraid of not (laughs) getting in a car accident, not, you know, walking out in the street. These are reasonable things to be fearful of. But when something like this happens, this global pandemic, being afraid of the dark is the pain. There, in and of itself, is the emotional pain. That's where it lies. Those of you who have kids or those of you who remember being that age where you may have been afraid of the dark... And, you know, can we leave the light on? Or can I come crawl in bed with you, Mom and Dad? Like, they're going through real suffering in the presence of that fear. This is uh, awesome artist Frank Turner. I've played him before on the show. Frank-Turner.com, by the way. A black out in the center of town, but down in the suburbs where first went out, they've been asking, asking the question. 
Stopped her heart. One power vacuum, and we're coming apart. We should be asking, asking the question Are you afraid of the darkness? Are you afraid of the darkness? I'm afraid of the darkness too. And we're all caught in the blackout, trying to feel. Our way out Wait for the morning I'll be waiting for you Meet me in the middle Meet me in the middle Bring a burning candle with you Meet me in the middle Meet me in the middle I will be there waiting for you songs I've been taking for granted everyone understood how easy trouble comes but it's not enough anymore we can't just turn around and close the door on a world that's asking uneasy questions we should be asking ourselves uneasy questions are you afraid of the darkness are you afraid of the darkness? I'm afraid of the darkness too. Yes, thank God for artists like Frank Turner. Frank-Turner.com. Songs called Blackout. I love that lyric. We're all trying to feel our way out. I thought of titling this uh, Afraid of the Dark While Bearing the Light. This episode you're hearing now, Season 7. A big reason for this season is going back to some of the old genesis of this show and addressing that that scared guy, you know, that started this show. That guy that was very much afraid of the dark still. And, you know, I'm not in the place I thought I would be when I started this thing. (laughs) I'm not the man I thought I would be or I should be. Um, which is okay. And accepting that, you know, that, that old saying from recovery, wherever you go, there you are. It's just so true. As your life unfolds and flows and what we can control and what we can't, you know, the, the serenity of it all. And yeah, I'm going to get to <laughs> part two of chaos and order my story. Um, I did a part one and this whole bubonic plague of the 2020s 
the major unexpected disruption we're all experiencing, right? Who could have planned for this a year ago? So interesting, the planning. We really feel like we have control, and something like this just really reminds us when you're human, life could change with a phone call. I say that a lot. Like, we really feel we got a good bead on things until something like this reminds us how fragile life can really be. So in the spirit of some of the older shows and me being away from this mic for a month almost now and I really wanted to gear up, get back into it, what's going on with that. I think that that's what I was missing to some extent was the being vulnerable myself with you listeners and talking about my own perspective and how I'm encountering life as we know it now. Here I am back on the mic and putting myself out there as far as my own journey through this blackout, so to speak. Uh, The morning of March 9th is one I won't forget anytime soon. Um, The lights started dimming as more and more people were quarantining and businesses starting closing. It was starting to be noticeable on the streets, but um, there was still traffic. The largest employer in my city is the Boeing company that uh, they manufacture Jet airplanes, uh, 747s, 777s, uh, the new 777X just had its maiden voyage a few months ago. So the Boeing company at the time still had all their shifts cranking out airplanes. And yeah, while there was a noticeable decline in traffic, the lights going out, so to speak, hadn't totally kicked in yet like it is now around here in uh, Everett, Washington, where I live. And by the way, Everett, Washington had the first recorded case of COVID-19 here in the United States. In Health Watch, the first case of China's new and deadly coronavirus has been reported here in the U.S. According to the CDC, the patient is in his 30s and traveled in November to Wuhan, China, the epicenter of the outbreak. He's currently quarantined at a hospital just north of Seattle. So Carter Evans is outside the hospital. It's in Everett, Washington. Carter, what precautions are doctors taking? So that story is from January 22nd. And this is something I shared in the last episode about, you know, at the time, I thought, yeah, it's not that not that big a deal. My neighbor, you know, works in healthcare, and she was like... Much like this guy reporting back then uh, in this story here. Doctors from the CDC are now here in Washington State monitoring this situation. They say, above all, the risk to the general public is quite low and that they've gotten on top of this quite quickly. The patient is currently in isolation at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, where he is in satisfactory condition. He was in the hot zone in Wuhan, China, just a couple of weeks ago and started showing symptoms when he got home last week. I also see an opportunity for explaining what I've talked about on the show in the past, certainty addiction. That news story you just heard was recorded uh, January 21st, 2020, for those of you listening to this in the future. (laughs) Um, And that's how the story broke here from a local news affiliate in the Seattle area. 
Um, this also helps me shed some light on what I talked about in the last show, that spirituality is simply the value of things you can't measure, you know. Uh, as far as how I identify, like, spiritually, you know, I, I call myself a Christian mystic or spiritual anarchist, right? Anarchy is breaking groupthink um, in my classification here, which I believe is the biggest problem with religion or organized, systematic, or institutional religion. It's people follow blindly authorities uh, of men, as Jesus would call them. Um, mysticism or being a mystic is, is based in experience. Like you're experiencing leaps of faith. It's not just reading and studying all the books and all the material. It's getting out on the field. It's not just talking about or mapping the path. It's walking the path. Mystery, right? The, the root word of mystic, it's embracing that taking a leap of faith and experiencing that and the things you put your faith in you're honest about those and so certainty is like Brene Brown called it the opposite of vulnerability right and there's no life change there's no recovery without vulnerability and and this isn't just stubbornness, all right? This is sort of like the fruit of stubbornness, certainty addiction. And I know it very well. I was like that. Takes one to know one. Um, I should say certainty addiction is the blindness uh, of our stubbornness. You know, throughout recovery, I've started, you know, you have to realize when things aren't <laughs> changing or going your way, even though you're holding on to this idea or belief with quotation marks around it. There's people that like the ego kind of takes over and I know and they'll hold on like clenched fists of a two-year-old around a, a toy they're not supposed to have or, or something, right? Like, no, I got this. I know. And a lot of times these people are seen as attractive leaders because of their confidence, right? Myself, doing some of those early shows, you know, you hear that metaphor of the flesh and the spirit are at odds, right? They're in conflict with one another. I could go back and listen to those shows and hear my ego, you know, jumping up, wanting to take control and, and that spirit part of me wanting the ability to just breathe to just be uh, the language for that is what I'm I'm after here, um, because in me there was still that angst. If science can explain it, or if my pastor, priest, or insert religious authority here, you know, interpret it from that book, um, I'm not going to believe it, and I'm not going to trust in something I can't see or have explained to me the scientific method and or scholarly people who know better now like right now because I don't want to wait because the waiting the anticipation while those people out there work to figure it out and for me looking back now on some of those older shows and where I was at I was afraid of the dark like I knew somewhere in my spirit I knew to step out take these leaps of faith but the fear and that's the emotional pain 
of being in the dark, so to speak, right? And as information comes forth and new things are learned, right? Xenophobia is the fear of the unknown. And, you know, at first I'm kind of that guy. I'm a risk taker. You know, I was like, yeah, this is just an aggressive flu virus. It's not that big a deal. You know, my stubbornness is going, nah, it's blown up by the media. It's not really that bad. And then as more stories come forward by reputable news sources and my cognitive dissonance starts to break up the fear constipation. Is that what it is? The pain of fear. It's sort of like being constipated, even the xenophobia of it all. You know, the fear of anything strange or foreign is that definition from Merriam-Webster. Traditionally, my way, and a lot of men I've seen seem to share this, uh, my way of dealing with the strange or foreign is to ignore it completely, and maybe it'll just go away on its own. Similarly, I've encouraged people to confess this thing the secret thing, the as Steve I called it, the aching hunger. At least tell a therapist um, about your sexual compulsive history, which, and especially from religious circles, is foreign and strange advice because most most people are just ignoring it, covering it up, and I believe that's influenced by philosophically, you know, the unknown, like your story, your situation's unique. No one else has experienced your story and your situation the way you have or will. And so your situation is not foreign or strange to you because you're living it. But your thoughts on how is this going to unfold if I don't seek help? What's going to happen if I do seek help? The fear in having those questions rattling around in your body, head, spirit. And sure, there's psychological perspectives, but you can't put your story on a graph, chart, or flow sheet. Right? The value of something you can't measure. That's the uniqueness of your story behind your eyes. Um, and then breath, that's the theological definition of spiritual, um, the, the ability to breathe. When we breathe, when we can just be, we can breathe. And breath is life. And it seems some of the counsel for me that I got from more than likely a certainty addicts was just hold your breath and stay underwater as long as you can. And that was some of the counsel instruction I got from my first Christian counselor was, and I had that energy when I began the show too. Basically what he said was live constipated. You know, you don't have to tell your spouse, you should take it to your grave. Um, Keep it secret just between you and I. It's cool. Like he's no longer in business anymore um, because God knows somebody probably caught an STD or something and, and he was like liable, but that's not the greatest advice. Another one, see a therapist, like find if you can, if you have the resources, get to someone who has some experience in handling 
um, behavioral health, mental health. Your average pastor in the pastor's office, uh, statistically, and this is from research, odds are he's already has his own issues with uh, sexual, not just self-control, but integrity. Um, so, again, mental health professional, right? Uh, I was spending my own money to see a Christian counselor who gave me not the greatest advice for myself or my wife. And looking back, it was just like, yeah, just live with the pain, which I know is, is horrible. And we all believe it's going to end. And I thought I was going to be divorced. I would, it, it didn't end as the, the fear, right? Speaking to me, the future tripping, um, reality was different. Not every horrible situation that I envisioned came to pass, in other words. And listen, I don't want to plant any fear seeds in there either. Like, you shouldn't see a Christian counselor or all secular mental health professionals are awesome. Um, no, you got to get dip your toe in the water at least and start this process because you need someone to talk to who you can trust and who you have good chemistry with as far as a kind of professional friend, so to speak. Someone you could tell your secrets to, that kind of friend. Because that's one of the biggest breakthroughs I've heard from a lot of folks who struggle with sexually compulsive behavior is just being able to talk to someone about it is like a huge weight being lifted off your shoulders. Because the voice of fear inside our body is resisting the secrets getting past the mouth gate, the lip gate, right? In the place of fear is that constipation, so to speak, and it's painful. And again, for me, that voice of fear would pop up and go, just ignore it. It'll go away. Just let it. I, it's, it, it doesn't want to be put to death. That's that part of our ego, that survival thing. It doesn't want to die. It wants to keep like, I got you, buddy. You just pretend it's okay. You know, don't talk about it. So escapism comes back into play. Distraction. That's a big one for me, man. Get out, right? I just had to get out. Blackout. And speaking of putting it on spreadsheets, you know, we've all heard the philosophy, the yin and yang, you know, the flesh and the spirit, but... And hopefully in this episode, I'm able to pull back a layer for you and identify it, like see that it's there and it actually exists, that thing. Whatever that is, right? That that egocentric part of ourselves that wants to protect us from even the truth in some cases. You know, like, I know, like, this is, it's fine. Everyone's going to be fine. And as more news comes forward and... Switching gears into my familiar COVID response um, to these ideas. Science, you know, starts revealing the facts of how many people are dying. Uh, yeah, I've changed my position. That being a way I could see my own maturity and growth as opposed to the person I used to be. And hear me out. I'm no freaking angel. Okay, I'm still a hot mess, to use a southern term. 
experiencing sexual self-control doesn't mean your life is just awesome, right? Like everything's going to be great and dandy. Uh, I kind of thought that maybe in the early days, like, uh, mm. so yeah, I'm finding it interesting how COVID-19 in this current pandemic, we're all going through doing this podcast in those early shows. I'm reminded of these kind of universal truths. And in my own story, my relationship with fear because to say these are uncertain times would be an understatement from my perspective right now um it's totally reminding me of not just my relationship with fear but the familiar feelings around the dark sometimes i feel the fear of Uncertainty stinging clear And I, I can't help but ask myself How much I let the fear take the wheel and steer California, all the way back to 2000 Incubus. It's uh, a very appropriate, meaningful music right now. Feeling like I'm in the dark economically, for example, like where, how are the bills going to get paid, has been a reoccurring theme in my life. But rewinding the clock, about five years ago, almost exactly five years ago, March, I started driving for Uber. Um, I was still in the pizza business. I had a sales job in the pizza business, which was going nowhere. In the past, I had made pretty good money in that business. Bought a house. My wife and I live. We own our own home. Own a couple of cars. And I thought, I'm doing pretty good for myself. You know, an ex-drug addict who quit high school. When a lot of my peers now were getting their college acceptance letters, I was, you know, in jail or... Uh, in and out of rehab. So fast forward um, past 1988 into 1989, the early 90s, working really hard and working on myself. Um, 
I'm free of that. I'm clean from that. 31 years clean from methamphetamine, crack cocaine, drinking myself unconscious. So after breaking up from my chemical romances, cutting ties with my former career as a drug dealer and drug trafficker, um, starting to see myself legitimately professionally, so to speak, having my pride-busting, ego-busting, come-to-Jesus moment, you know, uh, Jesus, the two J words, right, Jesus and then job, uh, getting a legitimate, uh, non-illegal job was uh, something I started seeking after. And I was involved in some manufacturing jobs, some food jobs, you know, nothing that really stuck. I became kind of my own boss as a subcontractor selling pizza for a pizza franchise. I started to gain a reputation as a moneymaker up and down the I-5 corridor. I learned how to widen my territory and make more money working with separate different franchise owners here in the Seattle metro area. So the pizza business was something that really engaged my talents in convincing people of new ideas. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but over time, the problem with the pizza business was competition. And it's a saturated market in my country. There's a bunch of different pizza companies with a lot of money. And the food cost got to the point where I wasn't as attractive as a profitable enterprise. Um, I would go to big companies, for example, and sell to, like, Nintendo was one of my most loyal customers. I sold to uh, Nintendo USA here in the Seattle area for 15 years. Like, every Wednesday, they would buy between 20 and 60 pizzas at lunchtime. I'd go to different business parks um, every day of the week and and sell pizza like that, which was pretty profitable up until, you know, cheese hit a certain point and I was ru brushing up against dinner rush, which was my second shift lunch for a lot of companies. And they started sending me home instead of letting me work so I could pay my bills and that's when I signed on with Uber in uh, March of 2015. I used Uber to supplement that income. I started realizing if I drove for both Uber and Lyft that I could make uh, as much as I was making in the pizza business. Um, then I got a van a few years ago, a 2011 Dodge Grand Caravan, which I drove uh, for a, about a year and a half, just exclusively with Lyft and doing XL rides. Those rides paid double the fare. So I was making okay money. And then that started to, right, um, get worse <laughs> economically. As more people joined uh, the app, right, as more drivers jumped on board, you know, the more people you can get to do a thing, the less valuable the thing becomes. So every year, you know, we see our income go down as they learn new ways to not pay us as much as they did before so they can make more money, which I get that's capitalism here in the United States. Fast forward to about a year ago, June, uh, blew the transmission in my van and I'm a mechanic. All right. I can usually keep used cars running for a long time. Got up to 208,000 miles in the Dodge Grand Caravan and 
um, catastrophic transmission failure, which wasn't good. All right. So, you know, I was out of work for two or three weeks. Our credit was kind of shot trying to keep these cars running, keep the bills paid as the cost of living in the Seattle area continued to skyrocket. Um, then I started renting a car, which was at least an income. You know, I went from making a thousand to twelve hundred a week to around six hundred a week. And we actually qualified for food stamps after that. And that was about October. And during this time, I'm on ZipRecruiter, Monster.com, just about every job board I could find trying to nail down a job that would pay more than driving a rental car for Lyft. And to no avail, like nobody is interested in a 51-year-old, you know, ex pizza salesman slash driver without the greatest driver's record. I had a few tickets. We're allowed three in three years before we're suspended or deactivated from the apps. And I was right at that point and had been turned down for a few driving jobs because of it. Um, so we ended up filing Chapter 13 bankruptcy in November of 2019 Fast forward to around December, I rent a hybrid through Lyft, which was great. Um, the gas mileage was a lot better. I was making a little more money because they weren't charging me per mile like the Hertz um, Lyft rental thing was. Not to mention the car I was driving got like 60 miles per gallon. And then uh, March 9th, and I believe I did touch on this a little in the last episode, um... I, me, yours truly, was in a car accident. It's all right. I'm okay, though. I was a little sore. I'm all right. So as far as my career in rideshare driving, had a $1,000 deductible on the rental car, which I, I don't have $1,000, and that accident will put me over uh, and eliminate me from my self-employed slash job title of rideshare driver. And I liked that job. I mean, I didn't like the income going down every year, but I enjoyed the people, a lot of stories, a lot of interaction. I got to learn my city even better than I already did as far as driving around it. But mostly the people is what I will miss from that job. Um, so, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. Um, a cool thing happened, though, you know, all this time I'd been searching for a job, uh, the tow truck that ended up towing me, I went back the next day explaining how I just lost my job because of this, and the woman at the counter said, hey, we have a position in the call center. You know, we're in this conversation, and I knew some people she knew, and all of a sudden, there's value professionally in me by the towing company that towed my car. <laughs> so I knew the people at the towing company because I used to flip cars for money. Back in the day, I would buy cars at towing auctions. This is back when I first started in the pizza business. It was a way to supplement my income, and I could keep cars running. I was a pretty good mechanic, and I got good at knowing when the auctions happened and looking for cars that I could possibly fix and flip for cash. So one of the busiest 
tow yards, one that I had frequented quite a bit, was Dick's Towing here in Everett, Washington. And, you know, they hired me. It wasn't a lot, like 15 bucks an hour, but it was something, right? And I'm like, this is cool. Maybe my things are turning around. And I worked there about a week and a half before they saw their business dwindle down to about 20% of what it was on an average day. So this was about March 17th, 2020. The big boss said all the new hires are... uh, you know, we can't afford them. It's, there's not enough business. So I got laid off that job and now working to make ends meet. So, uh, this show, by the way, is, uh, brought to you by Carlton, who is a listener. And I want to, you know, thank you to anyone who gives to this podcast and keeps it going during this tough times. And Carlton, big thanks to him for supporting the podcasting arts. So to back up a little here, um, gratitude has always been a big one for me. It's a matter of faith for me. Providence, that's a, that's a huge word. So how cool is it that I got a job with the incredible mess that I was in and at the accident scene, the company that towed my car? Was that a blessing in disguise I'm starting to look back on? Because, you know, I'm day in, day out, just four feet from random passengers who could have this thing. Um, So further chaos at the accident scene. Like, I'm pretty frazzled. And the cop was really unhelpful. It was still rush hour. Like, this this was March 9th before society, as we know it, grinded to a halt, right? So they were clearing the intersection, and I get that he needed to clear the intersection, but communication wasn't a thing with this guy. Uh, and I'm like, I need to, this towed to the shop where Lyft tells is telling me. To, and they said, you have no authority to do that. It's going to the impoundment lot. So I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, and, and that was a whole thing, and Lyft was mad at me for that. And I'm like, I don't. I didn't have a choice in the matter. I didn't take pictures, all the pictures I was supposed to take of the vehicle because it was in the middle of an intersection at rush hour. And the officers like get out of the intersection. You know, um, I got a few pictures, but maybe I'll put them up on uh, heart, mind, love, sex, and affection for you. The Facebook group. So you can see uh, what I survived. The funny thing is I hit a Fiat and it wasn't going very fast, maybe 20 miles an hour. And the Fiat has a little dent, and the headlight was kind of taken out a little bit. She drove the car home. Um, The Hyundai Iconic Hybrid was completely destroyed. (laughs) Like, the whole front end is gone. Like, this safety in this vehicle, the airbag didn't deploy. But, yeah, it's it's really bad. Like, it looks like I was in a horrible accident, but I wasn't. so, yeah, that's my review of the Hyundai Iconic 2019 safety. <laughs> not not good. So the police officer at the scene, young guy, take charge kind of guy, and God bless our, our men and women in blue, um, but this guy. And keep in mind, I was just in an accident, so I'm a little frazzled, you know, and he lets me go back to the car to get my insurance right looking for my registration get some of my personal items out of the car 
And then he yells at me for not doing it fast enough. And he's like, come back here. You need to talk to, you know, the, the woman that I, I hit. And it was my fault. You know, it was, yeah, the sun was coming down. It was the first day after uh, daylight savings time. And there was an issue. I'm actually taking pictures. But I think the intersection is kind of dangerous. And I've had close calls there before. And I've seen lots of accidents in this intersection. So hopefully I can raise some awareness. And maybe the city will paint lines on this street during where this intersection is. Because it's kind of a new on and off ramp to the freeway. And I think it's important. So... Anyway, I am accepting responsibility because if I was paying closer attention, I wouldn't have just took the left right out in front of her when oncoming traffic was coming at me. Yeah, was there, you know, was my vision disrupted a little, but it was still my fault. I take responsibility for that. I told the insurance company when they called, you know, it's almost like the insurance company for Lyft, right? It's almost like they were looking for, oh, so you're contesting the ticket. I go, well, I'm raising some awareness about the intersection. I said, but it was my fault. And I said, I will tell her insurance company that too. And she's like, oh, well, you know, you, you. <laughs> like, no, if they call me, I'm going to tell them that I should have yielded to the right of way of traffic. And yeah, there were special circumstances, but if I had been more mindful and paying more attention, I wouldn't have just cut out in front of her. And that's my fault. I was ticketed for that. I deserve that. I will own my shit. <laughs> okay. Back to the scene of the accident. The car is being towed away. Traffic is starting to freely move through the intersection again. I'm back. I'm standing there on the sidewalk feeling the weight of my situation, you know. I knew my driver's record, so I just lost my job, out a $1,000 deductible. Um, and at this point, this police officer starts walking towards me like he's making a beeline towards me, like he's going to punch me in the mouth or something. And he writes me a ticket for not having my registration and insurance card on me, even though it was in my hand this time because I was finally able to go out into the intersection and grab it out of the car because the tow truck was there and the guy it was the tow truck driver that let me actually go back to the car and dig around in the glove box some more where I where I had the registration and insurance in my hand as he's handing me the ticket I took a little video with my phone to show the judge if I have to right like this guy um, and now yeah it's water under the bridge but I always like to glean what I learn from certain situations like this. Um, one month and one day ago as this is being recorded. But looking back, I can honestly say that, you know, my spirit, my ego, you know, all these different facets of myself in that situation, I, I handled it pretty well. I'm not in jail, you know. That was that was something good, right? In the, the past, me might not have handled this so well. Um, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't, you know, smart off to the cop, which has always ended up badly. You know, I used to say smart-ass things to cops, and it never went well. So I just, you know, like, okay, officer, yes, yes officer, you know, I'm... Up until I had to draw that boundary, right, when he wrote me the ticket, I pulled my phone out, and of course he rolled his eyes, and he's got his phone, you know. Like, yeah, uh, it's evidence these days. Especially when you're writing me a ticket 
for not having something that I have in my hand at the time you're handing me the ticket. <laughs> so there's that. you got to be confident in uh, rebellion, I suppose. Now a month away, looking back on it, I'm kind of like, eh, all right, I handled that pretty well. Because the day after it happened, you know, all these voices screaming at me from the inside, like, you idiot, right? You dumbass, you shouldn't have gotten that accident in the first place. You should have been paying attention. Like, just this onslaught of, you wrecked your life again, right? That was going through me. Having my friends around was really good for me during this time as well, to remind me that I'm not a total fuck up in my life that was beautiful so you know looking back on this situation another thing that happened uh, that's not the end of the story um right after the accident i'm back in gotta get a job mode and back and forth from the airport in my city there was this auto repair shop with a help wanted son and i used to think about it could i be a mechanic you know could i work as a mechanic in a shop, like I kind of like puzzle solving. I don't love working on cars, but you know, it's something I'm fairly good at. Even new hire mechanics don't make, you know, entry level, can't pay my bills on minimum wage wages. So in desperation and thinking to myself, why not give it a go? Now, I've never worked as a mechanic. I've been working on cars since I was 14 years old. I started doing YouTube videos about 2010 or so um, when I fixed my own vehicles, which I was driving all the time. My van has 435,000 miles on it now, uh, for example. So I, I did a lot of repair videos. Those repair videos actually have created a bit of a second income. Actually, I'm not getting a check this month from YouTube because no one's watching our videos. But it was like $100, $200 a month for a while. Um, so when I was filling out applications and in my resume, I put a blurb in there about, you know, I used to buy cars at auctions and flip cars for money for about a decade on and off. And I pointed to my YouTube video. I said, I have a YouTube channel with 1.2 million views on my car repair videos. You know, just kind of a Hail Mary, right? Check it out. So I go ahead and take the job at Dick's Towing. I haven't heard from these guys, um, but I get a call. I actually talked to one of the guys. It's a string of shops up and down the West Coast. And the guy said that my YouTube videos were really impressive. He really liked me. You know, I told him I've never worked in a shop before, but I was a machinist, you know, back in the day for uh, an aircraft company that, you know, was a subcontractor for Boeing. And he's like, you know, he goes into how my videos show that I don't just read codes, but I'm a problem solver. He said my diagnostic skills were spot on, and I'm like, they are? Really? <laughs> I, I didn't know this. <clears throat> he says you have experience where some of these guys right out of mechanic school don't. And he said this. He said, your YouTube channel is the best resume for a mechanic that I've ever seen. I thought that was pretty cool. 
So he calls me back like a couple days after I get laid off from Dick's towing, and he says, can you start April 5th? And I'm like, yeah, I can start April 5th. So my wife and I went from, oh, my God, how are we going to pay these bills to, yes, awesome. Um, He said to be looking for an offer letter, and you just have to sign it electronically, and, uh, you know, I'll see you on April 5th. So nobody mails me anything. I don't get an email from the company, and I finally call the guy back, and and he says, well, let me look into it. So he calls me back a few days later, and he says, yeah, sorry, you know, they've uh, froze any new hiring. And he said, it is really slow down here. He says, I'd hate to have to hire you now and have nothing to do anyway. He says, but as soon as they lift the hiring freeze, he goes, you're the first number I call. So that was pretty cool. In the meantime... um, Here in Washington State, I can't draw unemployment because I've been self-employed for over 25 years. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the news about Uber and Lyft drivers and, you know, self-employed people getting unemployment through a new federal stimulus package. But as far as here in Washington State is concerned, um, none of that's online yet. There's no way to even fill out the forms yet. Um, We're supposed to be getting... $1,200 each, my wife and I, that'll pay for the last two months of our mortgage from the Trump administration's uh, new socialist (laughs) economic system, at least for now. That's an interesting piece of political history in our election year. You know, our election for president comes up in November. For the first time, we've had an openly socialist. He's a Democrat, but Bernie Sanders was, you know, a self-proclaimed socialist on the ballot. He recently dropped out. But it's funny how just like three or four months ago, everyone was freaking out about the dangers of socialism. And now the president's cutting everyone a check for $1,200 in the country. That makes below $75,000 a year. And no, I don't try and get political on the show, but I thought that was really uh, an interesting chuckle at our social consciousness and social psychology in my country. But I had to scrape up money, seriously, to get uh, the last month's worth of my server hosts payment to them before they uh, shut this thing off. And one listener, Carlton, who gives only $4 a month, just 4 bucks a month in the last four or five months. Um, and hear me, I don't mean only $4. I mean, someone gives $4 to this thing? Seriously? Like, on a monthly basis? Awesome. $4. Like, that is huge. So even small donations make a big difference. For the month of April, for Punk Theology and this podcast here um, on the same server. So yeah, man, even a couple of bucks donated to this thing, if you can, and I know a lot of you can't, and that's okay, but for those of you who could be generous, this is a really important time, Um, ASI247.org, or you could simply Venmo me and the show at the letter C, Russ Shaw, if you Venmo. And leave a blurb in there, you know, I'll read it on the show. I appreciate anyone who can uh, give to the show right now. PayPal, the monthly thing, I mean, it's pretty cool how a $4 a month donation helped save this podcast broadcast 
<laughs> but whatever you can give, man, um, again, thank you. And if you're going through heavy financial struggles too, man, my heart goes out to you. Hang in there. Don't be afraid of the dark. It doesn't rain forever. There's a thing going around in my country, and it's something my mom used to say. The first time I heard it was my mom when I was a kid. This too shall pass. I've said it on the show here before. It's so true, and it's something to to hold on to and remember. And some of you may be disappointed, thinking, what about the sex, Russ, the sex part? Well, what about your sexual integrity, Russ? Um, I'm not porn binging, like 18%, what is it, 185 last time I checked, Pornhub's uh, revenue has gone up, or at least uh, people logging on and consuming the um, anesthetic, maybe. The next episode, I'm going to talk about the bearing of the light part of this being afraid of the dark metaphor, because people are having lights shined on specific areas isn't always the most comfortable and enjoyable thing. Um, Couples are cooped up together, spending way more time than they're used to with their spouse or significant other. And if you're single, man, I hope you listen to this too, because it's really important when it comes to um, shopping a partner, (laughs) probably, right? Because nine months from now, the fruit of some of those choices, the babies and divorce lawyers are going to be a big part of that conversation, and a conversation a lot of people will be having about nine months from now. What can the light that's being shed on it now teach us about how we interact in relationship? And for some of you single folks, um, peering into that can hopefully bring some wisdom and clarity in relational adventures in the future based on some of the data. And in the next episode, uh, I want to share some personal stories and and some of the research that I've seen in processing this as someone who's been talking about sexual integrity on the internet for almost 15 years. Um, So subscribe uh, if you'd like to hear more. And I felt I needed to add this as a reminder. If you're struggling with sexually compulsive behavior and it's controlling you and you don't control it and you know that about yourself tell somebody all right this is a great opportunity there's a bunch of people home waiting for zoom calls you know figure out how to use zoom it's really easy um connect with somebody you know some of you single people just Getting in touch with a friend through Zoom or through FaceTime on your iPhone, whatever. Some of that social time can be really important right now. But taking it a step further and having someone that you can tell those secrets to, those very scary bringing them out into the light secrets, um, there's there's therapy through the screen right now. And if you don't have the money for that, there's a whole bunch of pastors and 
priests or, you know, imams or rabbis, whatever you insert worldview here, right? A lot of these people are really bored right now and they would love to talk to you or just be there with you in it as you, you know, bring things out into the light can be so incredibly healing. Um, Russ at ASI247.org. I got my email fixed again. Um, the host that I use has changed hands like, I don't know, two or three times. I'm not sure since the 15 years I've been doing this show. So, But I did get the email fixed again. So if you've ever emailed me and you haven't got a response back, um, then I didn't read it because of some whatever. Uh, but now um, ASI... 247.org is working and that's also my PayPal handle. <laughs> so donations, but really it's not so much the life energy that is your money, but the life energy that is concealed in dark mold growth kind of places. The way the lack of money right now is a social consciousness issue. We can start to see our reliance on it. And my wish for you is that you would start to see a life lived without elephants, you know, skeletons and dragons lurking in unrevealed places. A life of um, flaws in the light. I get a lot of criticism for that, especially from, you know, religious circles. Because... In a world of scarce things like Lysol disinfectant spray, toilet paper, and hand sanitizer, and you can quote me on this, sunlight where the sun don't shine is some of the best disinfectant there is, especially as the things we used to really value start to crumble, and as the treasures of what's really important start to reveal themselves as existing realities in our lives. So, a challenge for you this week? Make an effort to reach for a lifeline. Leave you with some Papa Roach. So, because I love you, that's this week's challenge. Phone a friend, or again, russ at asi247.org. Send me an email. We're built for connection. We're wired to be social, even during social distancing. Totally reminded me of this old song, Lifeline, during these uncertain times. I love each and every one of you who are listening, especially if you made it this far. Kindred spirits, you and I. Till next time, bye. Out of town, and the ones that I love.
Attitudes of Sexual Integrity is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear, here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. SI, the podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal, or other advice. In addition Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. Like the jams we play here on the podcast? Go to asi.org and follow the Kickin' Playlist, or search ASI Podcast Bumps on Spotify. Follow the bands if you like the music and get notifications for concert dates, merch, vinyl, and stuff. Okay, bye now.